From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm sorry, and this is Mark. Hiya, it's episode 77 and we're talking about the science fiction film, Science Fiction Volume 1, The Osiris Child. Came out in 2016. In this episode, we will reveal what we thought about that film, the ins and outs of the narrative and film language, plus a nice deep dive into a specific piece of science that the filmmakers are proposing. I could not say specific that time, sorry. This film is directed by Shane Abyss. It's an Australian science fiction. We've looked at one of his films before in Finney, which we both thoroughly enjoyed and if you haven't seen go and check that film out too it was also written by abyss plus brian kachaya kachaya please brian give me a phone call correct me correct him now no turn back now if you haven't seen this film because we're going to do all sorts of spoilers so this is your spoiler warning 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 and then tune back in that's and right. Hear everything we have to say about. Please it, turn it's back in. Amazing. <laughs> Please come back. Yeah. How many people do you think have forgotten to tune back in? They go. Oh, I don't know. Watch the film. They go. No. I imagine our space brain fanatical fans that are all listening. We know you're listening out there. We've just looked at some of the analytics of the podcast, and you know they must. I just imagine they would press pause. They go and watch it, and the second they're finished, they come back and listen. Absolutely. Science Fiction Volume 1, The Osiris Child, is set in the future in a time of interplanetary colonization. An unlikely pair race against an impending global crisis and are confronted by these genetic monsters that actually live inside us all. What was your number one takeaway from this film? My number one takeaway from this film is that step-sibling romance is Ooh. not a recent thing. <laughs> you can't blame the internet for that. No? Because this is, this is six years ago. Oh, six okay. Years ago before okay. it was popular. Yeah. I think but, it's been around a bit longer than just the internet. And I, I want to draw a particular attention to Jip and Bell. Bill? Bell? 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 Bill? Bell. <laughs> what a great acting pair they yeah. were. They yeah. were fantastic. I think for an actor, there's nothing more fun than playing like doped up, star-crossed lovers. Really, isn't it? Like it's Wild that things. Yeah, just absolutely going nuts. Um, both Luke Ford and Isabel. God, she's on Neighbours or Home and Away or something. I think Home and Away. Home and Away. Uh, Isabel Lucas both really delivered on that role. They oh, smashed Luke, it Luke up. Bell, who was great. He was also an infinity. Not Luke Bell, not Luke Bell. Luke Ford. Luke Ford, sorry. Yeah. He played Bill. He played Bill. Yes, no. Luke, Luke Bill, Bill, Bill Ford. Sorry, Luke. <laughs> uh, I know you're my mate. Yeah, I know. He, know, I he know. knows who we're talking about. He was great in Infinity as well. Mm, he was, yeah. As, as was, of course, uh, Daniel McPherson. Yeah, another great and, Aussie um, actor. And uh, let us know. I'm 
you know. In fact, any of the cast that were involved in this film could just correct us. That would be fine. Feel free. Yeah. You can come on the show if you want. Def- definitely tell us about your experience of making the Osiris child. Well, no, I, I really did like it. They blunted the shock, which I think was a, was a nice little twist on what you're expecting because you've mm-hmm. got these two uh, freaky, you know, wild and free drug abusers mm-hmm. with a good heart, really. Yeah. They and then you find out that they are brother and sister and there's that moment of eyebrow raising mm. and you find out they're actually stepbrother and sister and you're kind of going, um, depending on the exact circumstances, yeah. <laughs> that might also be a bit wrong, but at least they're not genetic. You know, They, mm. they could have become bro- brother and sister when they were already in their late teens, for yeah, example, 18-year-olds. Like right. yeah, yeah. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. But anyway, I just, I just liked that there was that introduction of the really sort of um, lascivious relationship and then they just toned it down just as, just mm. one notch, if yeah. you like. Yeah. That was kind of okay. So, Saved the cat, didn't they, really, a little bit? Yeah. You know, it's, it was, like, it's like, oh, it's still a bit yucky, but it's, yeah. It's still a bit kind of not right, but at least, you know, they didn't, as far as we know, they probably didn't grow up together as brother yeah. and sister. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that aside, I just, that was, that was something that I, I quite liked it was um not a major part of the film mm. almost almost unimportant really yeah except that it was in the film mm-hmm. which just sort of adds that bit of um texture to those characters and it's a bit world be- building isn't it because they're they're kind of it's a bit mad maxi that version of this film isn't it like they're yeah. on this planet and but they're indicating like uh jip uh she indicates that back on earth like mama kicked us out and there wasn't anywhere to go you know like so it's They've kind of come to this really the far ends of the universe where there's a bit of work and they're the kind of people that would do that, you know what I mean? Mm. They're so sort of so desperate. So they're also in love with their stepbrother or stepsister and they do drugs. And so it kind of it's world building, isn't it? It was the same later with those two guys that did the illegal gun manufacturer. They were kind of a bit crazy out, outlaws or yeah, whatever. So I yeah, think it was it was kind of pretty cool world building that fact that they were siblings. So it's a little throwaway line. It's a little bit unusual, but it also added to the dimension of the well, story. I think that's the sort of thing that, well, I mean, it stuck with me. Mm. But it's the sort of thing that in films and in books and stories and so forth, you add like a little, a little touch that you didn't have to add. That there was yep. no requirement. They didn't nope. have to say anything at all. The story could have just been, you know. Uh, when my mum kicked us out, yeah, you know, Bill we came here, yeah, came along and we went off. Yeah, you know, that would have worked just the same, except mm. it wouldn't have brought as much focus to the characters. And it was, I think, it was it was a nicely done bit. And Good that writing, was something that I mean, it affected me, and yeah, I yeah. took away with it. Yep. And uh, I have to say, those two, they pulled off that character pair beautifully. It was very, very well done. Yes, definitely. So tell me though, is this? Uh, hope, a uh, warning or an experiment? I reckon it's a good old-fashioned warning sci-fi because it's a cautionary tale of humans exploring colonization and the dangers. I mean, we seem to always have dangers with colonization. Is it a throwback to the English trying to colonize the world and we maybe that wasn't the smartest thing to do? There's kind of comments in this film about, uh, um, you know, good old, Tomorrow, Morrison, Timawara, <laughs> Timawara, yeah. yeah. Um, apologies, oh, did, but he, like he did a cracking job in this. He one. did, he did. It was a bit of a throwback. There's a good old punch scene from him that's back to once 
once were warriors. Yeah. Um, and I think he was back to that, even though it's a, it's a sort of small role. He's the warden, but even he has a throwaway line in one of his spiels to the prisoners about, oh, the indigenous, unfortunately, the indigenous don't always acclimatize to the humans or something, yeah. you know, like, so, so we have to kind of bomb them or blow them cleanse up and them, yes. cleanse them is always that. <laughs> So there's definitely like an undertone there. I don't think it's like a major theme of the film, but I just thought that, and we've seen this in some of the other sci-fis as well, but definitely here it's the impression is, hey, we've gone to this planet, we're using slave prison labour. Again, what the Europeans did when they tried to colonise places like Australia, used convicts, you know. But the concept here of going out, and it always goes then a bit wrong, doesn't it? So they're trying to experiment and good old the general's like, well, no, just nuke them or blow them up, whatever it is in this. And it never, so it never really ends well. So the the virus gets out. It's the same in Alien, isn't it? It's like they capture that creature, and again, that corporation in Alien, which is always so cool of an extra mm. villain, is the human corporation saying, yeah, don't worry about the humans. Let's bring the alien back. It's worth money, you know. The so humans are like, expendable. But yeah, only human, one of yeah. Them. And this film touches on that kind of same concept again. So I think it is a warning. But if you're out there and listening, what did you think? Is it a hope, warning, or experiment? What was your first impression from this film? Sorry. First impression, I wasn't entirely sure what to expect coming to this. Because generally speaking, we don't get any uh, pre-warning of any of these films. No, a lot of time we're watching cold. Although... There's been a couple of films where we've sort of thought we should probably get a bit of pre-warning because <laughs> yeah. you've got to know some films you've got to know what you're getting involved in, um, and some films you're much better off not knowing. And if you're an avid listener, can you guess which those which films they were? Yes. Let us know. Special bonus prize. Bonus prize. <laughs> the, this one here, however, was a pleasant surprise. So I, I wasn't sure what to expect the name of the film. Was is weird? Yeah, science fiction volume volume one. one yeah, that in yeah. itself you kind of going. Oh, and the the title credit for that looked um, yeah throwback to the fifties. Yeah, sort of yeah, amazing stories type magazine mm. stuff going yep. on there, and and uh, it happens throughout the film, doesn't he? Use yeah, those titles, chapters. he has the chapters, and it's it's almost a bit over the top. That that part, it's cool, it's funky, but it's almost a bit OTT for then the. Style of the story, I yeah, felt. Yeah, the style but of the story was not as schlock. No, that's right. As yeah, you'd expect. Yeah, like, you know, but it was a nice way of having this um, uh, flashbacks mm. and so forth. Yeah. But my my first impressions were it was coming in. We had um, this voiceover with the the girl talking about her mm. father, and there's scenes of yeah, her father, presumably her father. Mm. Yeah, he's sort of ranting and raving and chucking yeah. stuff around. He's on a desert. Yeah, punching uh, the ground. <laughs> yeah, and and um, having a toddler tantrum. Really, I was yeah wondering how this was going from the the girl's perspective, but we don't really see much of her through this film. Mm. But we do realise, yeah, that, that as we went along, uh-huh. um, I was wondering who the exact protagonist was in this film mm. and i think the title cards helped in that aspect because yeah. they're flashing to different times so the story is told not in chronological order mm. which is always an interesting way than a presenting we talk about the various beats and yep. the three acts and uh, i am legend did this a little bit if you go back yeah. to a previous episode and listen to i am legend yeah 
one of the things in I Am Legend is the inciting incident towards the end of Act 1 in that is actually partially in the past. Yes. Like yeah, yeah, it is. Well, it is. It is, yeah. He's, he says goodbye to his family in the helicopter yeah. and says, I'm going to stay, I'm going to make this right. Mm. Mm. That's like him deciding to go in Act 2. Yep. But the inciting incident is he's in the bathtub yeah. in the present time hearing the screams of the the monsters outside yeah, still. that's right. Yeah. Uh, and this movie, likewise, by using the sort of flashbacks going back to earlier times, mm. yep. we're starting to see midpoint is actually not at the present moment. Yeah, it was and in the past. there's kind of um, the finale or the, and the final images in significantly in the future. Yes. And so it's 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 quite um quite chopped up in that way. Yeah. And as a storyteller you've got to go, well, how do I do that without uh affronting people? How do you go from we're following this one character and seemingly it's his story, mm. but then we actually have another character whose story it equally is and title cards yeah. did it in this case. Awesome. So I uh, yeah, it was it was um, an interesting first impression to come into this with title cards, with this yeah. voiceover of the girl, but we're immediately kind of following the story of the her dad Kane, and it it made me interested. Yeah, definitely. I, like, oh, well, how's this going to develop? You know, pulled you in, and I'd agree. I agree with you. It was even as the story progresses, the way that it has been cut up, and we'll come back to it when we get to the plot. But the way that he, Shane has cut it. Uh, at those narrative points, it still is very much hitting beats, but you're exactly right. The same thoughts like, oh, we're following that character and then now we're following another character and we're sort of learning more about them. Mm. But as you said, the timeline is now we're fla- fast forward. We actually fast forward in the timeline and then we also fa- flash back. Mm. So we kind of jump between a couple of different narratives but then as those narratives are coming together, we're hitting some of those, still hitting some of those normal traditional beats. Mm-hmm. But it did feel as well to me that, and this quite often gets exciting, I think if you're really a sci- science fiction fan, it's building a bigger world, isn't it, as well? It's like giving us the impression that there's a bigger story at play here. Yes. But we're still content with what's being delivered here. So I thought it was a really interesting way of telling this type of story because we've looked at so many of sort of similar films to this in a way, you know, um, human colonisation, aliens or mutants or, you know, pushing the boundaries of space and then being uh, that coming back onto us as a human race and what we decide to do. And then also it was very – and big kudos here. And if you're a writer, remember the rule primal, right? Like there's a big primal aspect here. What's the primal part? Well, it's his daughter, isn't it? Daughter, right? It's a daughter and a father. The father tries to – the whole narrative arc is he's trying to get to his daughter. You can't get much more caveman than that, right? It's like save your daughter. (laughs) Later on, we're introduced to the second aspect of with the nurse, Kane, mm. the fact that he he sort of – already experienced the loss. That's right. So there's a, there's a mutual story there. But so there's that as well. Like there's another character with Primal. And then, it, but then when you sit down, you watch the whole film, you realize at the end from what Sari said, starting with the daughter at the start, it's also Primal because she's, she's saying at the start, she's looking for her father. So the setup is like, she's looking for her father, but realistically, the whole film is about the father finding, you know, rescuing mm. his daughter but we've got that kind of overarching that the daughter's coming back at the end saying, 
well, where is, you know, like I'm going to revenge my father now. So it sticks in that primal part. So I thought like, wow, like yeah, he's really ticking that box of primal, like a caveman can follow this film, even though it's really high tech and out in space and got some pretty big themes of indigenous and technology and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So is this a, obviously it's the first time you watched it, it was the first time for me. Yes. Um, did you have a favourite scene? I think one of those movies has got several really great scenes. Yeah. In well, just pick one, come on. The one that I really <laughs> want to draw attention to though is Temuwara's dialogue monologue with yep. the prisoner mm. where they're at in his desk and there's yeah. a guy seated there with a couple of bad guy <laughs> guards on either side and it's, those guards were cool eh? i liked their fencing sort yeah, of mask kendo mask yeah i liked that i liked that but that that scene i really enjoyed because it was a, a very tense scene between a couple of very tough guys mm. yep but, yeah, the warden, Tem, he had the upper hand. He did. And there was a, a slight slight variation in the usual dialogue where he says uh, uh, says to the prisoner, uh, I expect that, you know, you, you think that I'm to believe that this isn't the first or the worst place you've mm. been and the first time you've been in this sort of trouble. And the prisoner goes, yeah, that's right. And Tem says, no, that's completely wrong. <laughs> But it's not the first time for me. Yeah. And he doesn't explain any more of that. And he just mm. belts the crap out of the yeah. guy. He smacks him with that big... <laughs> like, because like, I've seen... We've seen uh, Tim here in a couple of films now. And the, um, yeah. Uh, and I've certainly watched him say... In, Occupation. In Mandalorian as yeah. well. And, yeah. And we've done Occupation 1 and 2. Yep. And in this, he really... Obviously, he really fit this character well. Like, I think... Yeah. I think he was excellent in that scene. Yeah. It was a very intense scene that I really enjoyed watching. Mm. Yep. Uh, I wasn't, because of the way the slight changes to the expected dialogue, mm. I wasn't really sure where it was going. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it's just sort of, you, you know, you're going back to, you think you're going back to solitary, you, you like it there. Yeah. And he goes, eh, and you know, like sort of sneers at it and he says, well, you're not. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and it smashes him in the head and I thought, oh, he's going to kill him. Yeah. No, sends him off down to be experimented on, which yeah, is great. Yeah. So that, that was a, a fabulous scene. It's a good scene of like um, power play, isn't it? You know, it's the old yeah. like. So the warden's got the power, but the prisoner may be standing up. And that scene, just to give it also a little bit of context, is it's intercut intercut with the other prisoners talking about escaping. So there's kind of a little bit of a setup that maybe the prisoners have an upper hand, and so mm. you now jump into a warden threatening one of them. Well, yeah, because and you're kind of thinking. Yeah, but they've got a way out, yeah, don't they? Their plan like, requires them to be in solitary. Yeah. They've found some sort of entry into their um, electronics. Yes. And and so, yeah, when you're seeing that power play, you're thinking, oh, he's... But you, so you're thinking the prisoners... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and you're thinking, well, the prisoner has an upper hand. And I think we've all seen, you know, without spoiling it, you know, there's classics like the Shawshank Redemption and um, just trying to think, Clint Eastwood is in... What's that movie, Clint Eastwood? Escape he's in the from Escape from Alcatraz. Um, escape and Plan with escape Stallone plan, and Schwarzenegger yeah. <laughs> finally together. They, but they, there's so many of those prison movies, isn't there, where the warden lays down the law and you're kind of used to the prisoner kind of getting up and having that little upper hand, you know, whatever it is. Even and, in Shawshank, well, it's, it's just about he... In Shawshank, he kind of plays to the warden and so therefore the warden gives him some privileges but here it's like no no the prisoner's playing that game back but at the end he just beats the living crap out of it because usually you have that yeah little wink and a nod to yeah. the audience like 
you know what's you know the you think the the warden the warden thinks he's in control yeah, you but you know there's something the warden that's what yeah, I'm trying to get at yeah, here yeah. And there's kind of that little cuz we all like to see that you know some yeah. big tough guy getting on an event you know that the little guy's got a little bit of something there he's got something <laughs> anyway so it's a great scene why is this a science fiction film science fiction film well it does explore some rather as you said caveman style things you know trying to reunite family mm. uh, a bit of revenge redemption yeah uh, all but of that could be in any film right that, that could, could be, be in a western that could be in a drama that could be horror but what we're looking at here though is the and Shane actually touched on this bit in Finney as well the whole uh, life death rebirth cycle right which is both you know literal and metaphorical in here mm. where the the cycle as we see we start the film with a girl talking about her father mm. and then we had the father searching for the girl uh, and dying mm. which is surprising but as it turns out we have it by this time we've learned then that uh, the other guy's got some sort of you know uh, credentials mm. but then he sort of dies but he's reborn and then yeah by the end the girl is uh, taken on this new role as well so she we has. do get the whole life death rebirth redemption arc playing through here and the way that's done is through you know genetic manipulation mm. and through global catastrophe yeah which and th- these are the sorts of things that we look at in science fiction where we take basic premise like um yeah so w- what about someone becoming a new person well they're actually becoming a new person yeah and uh, you know, what about the colonization yeah we've done that in locally but what how would that play out on an entirely new planet with advanced technology it's a little bit different yeah yeah so and it's very you know so you, you're definitely right the bio biohazard mutant kind of thing you couldn't do that that makes it a sci-fi doesn't it but yeah. also just deciding to like blow the living crap out of a place if you took this same story and said, oh, it's Australia in 1788 and the indigenous population and you got slave labour and you did that story, how would you destroy the colony? Well, sure, you could set it alight, but then people could just kind of run away from the fire. And sure, some people would die, but you can't annihilate the place again so science fiction you enables us you can't keep that secret no and you, and and but you but you just can't you don't have they don't have the military then to annihilate it to nothing you know yeah. so you so how do you, how do you do that in a drama or or a, a horror for example so you got to kind of bring in something that makes it sci-fi yeah and you got to bring in technology you know and explores a bit of what that would mean hmm. uh, as this does it would mean then that yeah colonization is uh, in this film has become an all or nothing endeavor. Yep. It's it's not uh, you know the thing with the Australian colonization. It was kind of it was done under the pretense of what we like to call civilized law. Yeah, but it was actually all just a a, a sham. A sham. Yeah. This like you know terra nullius business right, where no, no. where we said oh, Australia was not being used. Yeah, and we all sort of it was all sort of that you know nudge nudge. By white men, <laughs> you know, like yeah, it's like yeah. you ask the the local. What about populace. these? What about these? What about the local population? Ah, oh, no, that they're not human, so we don't have to worry about them. They're not using the land, yeah. like 
Yeah. They're just like like cattle or something. Like, <laughs> like it's just this sort of dumb thing. But they knew that it, that it was entirely false. Yeah. In this one here, it's just like, okay, we're going to colonization with, we're just, yeah, the easiest thing is just to remove all native species yeah. and we'll just start. Yeah, with start, us. start with us. <laughs> Which, I mean, that kind of makes a certain amount of sense, I suppose, but it's, it's a bit, it's that extension of brutality that yeah. frontiers would tend to bring about, you know. We still brought the space flies. Brought the space flies. Don't know why you would bring them, but sure. Well, I think. Oh, well, I think that's part of the terraforming <laughs> effort. I think that was a film ling- I think that was a filming issue. I think they literally got to Kubit Kudapedi. Kudapedi. Yeah, and they were just like, uh, the flies are going to be all on the camera. Uh, space flies. Yeah. You know, like I, I honestly think that probably just happened on location. Well, almost yeah. certainly. Yes, yeah. I know. <laughs> but they, they did explain it. Yeah. So there you go. That's good enough. Definitely. And um, tell me, was there any part of the science fiction that you enjoyed the most? Well, I think the the fa- our main character Daniel McPherson. What's his name? Daniel, Daniel McPherson. McPherson. Yeah, yeah. Lieutenant yeah. Kane. Daniel's character was a fighter pilot originally, and yeah. he had something go wrong with losing a crew. One of those good old sort of backstories that we don't really know much about the reason why he's chucking that toddler tantrum at the start in the desert um but he he flies those planes and i really thought the fighter planes were really cool sci-fi so i loved i mean we've seen and it's really interesting because we're watching a lot of sci-fi and maybe we're not watching this kind of sci-fi out of the u.s or whatever as much but you know occupation series we saw some amazing sort of fighter pilot fight scenes and in this film there's a really cool fighter pilot scene right um but i like that technology that these planes are i mean they're similar to what we would say a fighter pilot is now or a plane now but they're taken to that next sci-fi extremity Mm. and so in this example they could you know stop them on a dime basically by the wing's Kind of pulling yeah, out they, straight. And they, they controlled them almost like um, skid steer tracks. You know, yeah. they had the, the two controllers, which seemed to be independently for each of the wings, so they mm. could turn in various interesting ways. And That's then- right. And so it was definitely current human technology with a spin on it. And I found that in this film, you know, you had the Mad Max sort of style stuff, like with with Jip and Bill, you know, with the bus and that that kind of raggedy in between. But then the weapons were kind of taken up a notch, a bit science fiction-wise. But it seemed that then those fighter pilots were like a whole another level of sophistication in sci-fi. And even the station that the military were on or whatever – was some sort of big ring thing. Oh, and it was you know, so nice in comparison yeah, to, to, to what was on the ground and it was all that clean, futuristic sci-fi. So it was a pretty cool kind of um, example, but th- those planes to me really stood out. Like I, I reckon they were really good. And I just reckon big kudos to to Shane and putting that in this sort of level of special effects. They, they seem to look really great in the film as well. So I'd love to speak to the visual effects artists and, talk about that because you can watch some sci-fi and you and I have definitely seen it where, you know, it's obvious that the plane's computer graphics and stuff, whereas here it looked, they'd done it right, hadn't they? Yeah. They uh, really kind of were nice. I have noticed actually, now that you mention it, we haven't seen many sci-fi. We've watched 75, 6, 7? 77 now, 77 of these things (laughs) and we haven't seen a lot that have... Dog fights. No. Whereas there's there's so, now two Australian films yeah, that have I mean, got it Star pretty... Wars sort of did it back in 78 or whenever it was. Mm. Like, that was its big deal was that it was doing this World War II style dog fights. Yeah. 
which was not a part of sci-fi. I mean, we looked at Battle Beyond the Stars, which yeah. is contemporary with Star Wars. I'm mean, a knockoff, really. Yeah. Um, and it has some space battles, but that's the sort of space battle. The same as like the Star Trek space battles, yeah, where yeah. the Enterprise is just kind of a model floating, yeah. and then pew pew some glowy lights. <laughs> and there's another model that comes whereas, flying yeah, by. Like, whereas this is full blown dogfighting. This is, this and, is dogfighting of yeah. the great school. And we and, hadn't and seen much of it. We saw Shanghai Fortress, I suppose. That but, had a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and on that, you know, this is dogfight. The way he when he fights that other, you know, it's the same sort of plane similar I suppose pilot you know same ability as him he has to really push him and the plane mm. to some extremity to overpower him right because he's sort of the same capabilities so uh, you know he goes he knocks himself unconscious with 10 G's to kind of spin the plane and yeah. get that one little advantage and I fire and so technology yeah, that yeah, helped him it was just his well that was him as the hero doing yeah. that next step right that thing that maybe the other guy doesn't do so but that, but that shows a really cool dogfight right like they mm. they did all their technical stuff and one wasn't really winning and it's like well you got to push it to that extremity so yeah I think it's really great and and let me know what you like science fiction wise we should quickly sorry because it's getting closer and closer as the space brain science fiction film festival is coming up tickets are on sale now they are totally on sale i think last episode we said by the time you listen to that episode they're on sale well they are now on sale (laughs) so get yourself a ticket (laughs) so head to our socials head to our website um, they are for sale through Manpack, which is Mandra Performing Arts Center website. But the link will be on our website. The link will be on um, Facebook events kind of thing. You'll be able to click through there, do a Google worst case scenario, and I think you should be taken there. Absolutely. We're it's- getting very close to the workshops being finalized as well. Maybe by next episode, they will be finalized and we can yeah. announce something about we've, who is speaking. We've got uh, we've got leads, strong leads. We've got a couple of contracts out science there. Science fiction author uh, who's having the, a book translated to a awesome. series, which yeah, is cool. Yeah, excited. And a, yeah. uh, a, a filmmaker, director, writer-director who has some genuine science fiction film content out on streaming services and is currently producing a Hollywood film mm. with some yeah known actors. But you know, once we actually get these things yeah. locked, locked in, in and finalised, <laughs> we won't be mentioning names yeah. or anything like that because we, we want to make sure that we've got yeah. everything sorted out, make sure they are completely happy with us spewing their names out everywhere. So buy a ticket. What are you waiting for? We've got great a lot of films coming um, and if you're still making your science fiction film you have till the 31st of March 2022 that's in the past this last week no 31st of March March yes this episode goes out yeah well I'm just saying it then okay. you've missed it <laughs> well then you would have missed it okay so sorry okay yes. you missed it all right, so if you're listening to that, don't do that. Don't submit. It, we don't, we're not going to accept it. That's what I was about to say. If you're making one, keep your eyes out to see when we open second year of entries uh, and we'll, there'll be a discussion of that. Yeah. We've, we've just got to get through this first one first. We do. And then uh, we'll see what happens for next <laughs> we year. We will, we will. But look, in the future, we'd be happy to wa- sit down and watch science fiction films. Definitely still happy to do that. That's what we do most of our lives. M- no promises on a festival. <laughs> so let's get stuck into the plot part, Sorry, We do like to go through some particular parts. Before I do that, let's talk about... Um, so we did mention Shane directed and wrote this along with Brian Kachaya. 
something like that. Please, Brian, correct me. Um, he was he also co-wrote it with Shane. Uh, Kalen Lutz. Now, Kalen has had a pretty extensive Hollywood career in all sorts of films. If you IMDb him, he is in all sorts of stuff. The Twilight series. He was yeah, a was, character on that. It was one of the colors. Um, yeah, one of them. I, uh, I recognize the eyes. <laughs> Because, of course, in the Twilight ones, he's all pale and extremely smooth-faced, whereas in this mm. one, he's quite beardy. I think he was in The Expendables. Expendables 3. 3, yeah. yeah. I know, but there's a, he's got a huge credit yeah. list, you know, like it's on and on and on. So, go check out his stuff. Um, we've got Daniel McPherson, who also, uh, look, he was a major um, actor here in Australia on Neighbours and then did some TV, other TV lots shows. Of and shows. Lots of police shows, those sorts of things. The um, Bill in the UK. And he did The Bill in the UK, that's right. And he also did it in Finney. So, Shane's other early, one of Shane's earlier films. Isabel Lucas plays Jip. Luke Ford plays Bill. Um, Rachel Griffiths, great Aussie actor, been in all sorts of stuff here in Australia and over in the US. Um, uh, and good old, I'll let you say... Temuera Morrison, mate. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, he's having a huge career, really. He's oh, never he's... stopped now since we once the were Warriors. Star Wars. Uh, but yeah, the really Star Wars. Quite well for him. I'm sh- hopefully paying his mortgage off finally. Um, and Bren Foster plays Charles Keat as well. Most of this was filmed in the town of Cuba PD. Yes, I recognise that. I've visited there myself. Yeah. And it's obviously the tunnels at the end are, you know, the gold tunnels or whatever. Opal, yeah. Opal. Yes. I thought there was also gold there. Is it just opal? Uh, it's famous for opal. Okay. All right. I always thought it was gold, but anyway, I, I don't really know. But yeah, films like... Um, Razorback. Razorback. I think one of the Mad Max was shot out this way. Without a doubt. There's going to be yeah. at least one Mad Max. And um, not a Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. <laughs> they, oh, uh, what about Pitch Black? Pitch Black was also shot there. Yeah. Yes. So it's a tiny little town uh, and yeah. yet it's had a lot of films well, made there. Well, it's got such a stark landscape. Yeah. Of just You see that in this film here, they're just driving past these heaps Mounds of large white lands. limestone type, yeah, you know, just dross, and it's like that all over the place. And it's mm. because it's got that white coloring, it's so bright. And but it to is be so fair, hot. we have places like that in WA that are just like the same for nothing, like for kilometers and kilometers. Yes. Like, like I've driven, and I haven't even gone out to like Kalgoorlie and stuff yet, you know, on my drives, but I'm just talking like you go even just down south here, there's stretches of road that are like three 250 k's of nothing really like yeah. but you know anyway so if you want to film film in wa, film WA. <laughs> start here in mandra um and look i don't know the actual budget so we need to get some information on that there's probably some different ones out there but my references came up a bit empty and the box office is saying around one hundred thirty-five thousand. so not a huge box office but i'm not again it'd be interesting to talk to shane and the producers about did this have a big cinema yeah. cinematic yeah, release or is it more of an online platform release? I don't really know. It is available on quite a few platforms. Like I watched it on Prime, but it was also on YouTube, Apple. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't it think on, it was on Netflix. But I saw it on Prime. Yeah, it was on Prime. and So, yeah, it is on quite – and a few other platforms you can just kind of rent it. So, so he got our money. He did. He did. He would have got something, something. 25 <laughs> cents or maybe maybe one cent. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. 
um, our good old mate Alex Proyas. Hopefully we can get him on the show, director of iRobot and The Knowing and some other great science fiction. Uh, he's making a big stink about that at the moment and trying to come up with his own uh, distribution platform. So hopefully we can get him on the show one day, talk about iRobot maybe. Yeah, or the knowing. Just probably shortly after we get Will Smith in to talk about Iron yeah, Legend 2. But maybe he can bring him in. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but anyway, he's not too happy with Disney, so it'd be great to get him on and have a talk about that. So with the plot, we do like to break it down into a, the traditional three-act structure. This is based on what all good script writing teachers out there will teach you. So go learn. If you're a writer, if you're a viewer, you probably recognize some of these beats but maybe don't know about them, but definitely something to get your hands on. What happens in Act 1? Act 1 is all about the setup and introduction. Yes. It's also about telling us what the story is about. Yes. So in the introduction, we'll, we'll get like an opening image. So we'll see some sort of visuals because it is a visual medium we're talking of about Of course. Here. Visuals which will set a bit of a scene and a mood for how the world is prior to the action of the film. Mm. Yeah. Because we need to know you know, a lot of stories – I'm not going to say every single story, but generally speaking, no. a lot of all the popular stories are um, about some sort of a change happening. Mm. So we start at a, a rest state, we go through some sort of an action, and at the end, there's something is different, even if it's just our perception yeah. of what's going on. True. So we, we, we do this setup. Uh, through the setup, then we tend to meet the characters. Uh, we have a usually a theme is brought into play here, mm. and then we have. What's quite important here is the catalyst or the mm. inciting incident yeah. or uh, it's the question that we want answered. Yeah. It's it's something that, that makes us know what to expect in Act 2, basically. Correct. And in that- yeah, and, and there's usually a bit of a... Uh, after this inciting incident, it's introduced this idea of something changed, something different. Mm. The character or characters have to decide what they're going to do about that. Luckily, they always seem to decide to have a movie <laughs> rather than just go home and have a sleep. Yeah. And that leads in Act 2. Yeah, and Act 2 is really the fun in games. It's your middle chunky stuff of the story. It's the they're going on their journey. They're going on their story. They're going on exploring what this change, this catalyst was all about. So if at page 12, they were 12-minute mark of the film, they lost their job, well, now they're applying for a whole bunch of jobs. You know, If they decided as two podcasters decided once to make a film festival this is now where we're at we're in the the planning stages of a film festival so i hope it, we don't hit the midpoint i think we're past the midpoint by the way so in the in the, that journey so the thing is the midpoint does come up and before that it's maybe not too serious even in the most biggest action sci-fi whatever where there might be planes exploding and aliens and whatever the midpoint bit is really where it does turn and it starts to get super serious um and quite often in this case we do get things expressions like the bad guys closing in the world closing down um all is lost the dark night of the soul uh you know all all the problems come to the end whatever the character thought was going to work out tends to be the tr- the the opposite is true like it's not turning out and so we might also have like the death of a, a main character in the mm. story you know um the character here like you've mentioned sports team those sport team films rocky you know like they might have a win but then now they have a major loss or an injury or they can't fight anymore or all the fights cancelled 
Oh my god! <laughs> and so now they have to fight out in the street, and they don't have the guts to do that, or they never train to do that, you know. And so it's it's uh, you know everything they plan for goes wrong, and that's where you hit a moment where it's like, do I continue on this journey? Do I kind of climb over that crevice and just? To try to discover what's on the other side. Have I really changed from that person that was in the setup? And if the answer is yes, or they do have the guts to climb over that crevice, then we move into Act 3. Act 3 is, of course, the finale. And this is where we get the final sort of confrontation with what has been built up to. Mm. So we... we probably seen some maybe false enemies false victories early on and now we get what is really standing in the way of completing the film and often it is related to the uh the catalyst um but maybe not directly Mm. uh it's certainly informed by act two the hero or heroes have to gear up make a plan and head out to try and conquer this this final frontier yeah. Only to find out, of course, there's always a bit of a a twist. Hmm. There's always sort of like a bit of a hiccup. Like, cause yeah. you come up with a great plan. We're going to do A and go to B. And then what happens in the finale, of course, is someone kicks B on down the road. And find We're going to do a film festival, but hey, here's COVID. Yeah, yeah. Here's COVID. Now you can only have half the number of people you normally expect yeah. in there. And maybe the state borders won't even be open so yeah, people can't right. come and visit. That's right. Um, but, you know, the hero learns and adapts and changes and makes it to the end. And yeah. we get some sort of resolution. I'm not going to say necessarily the hero wins. No. The story resolves. Yeah. Which usually means that the hero gets some sort of closure or satisfaction. Yeah. And we have this final image, which is the um, bookend of the opening image. It gives mm. us that... that demonstration of what has changed and how things mm. how the story has affected what we saw at the start yeah and this film in particular has great bookend actually they're, they're the same repeats itself but then there's a different ending to the start so yeah this shane has done this really well for this as great bookends Okay, so a couple of things before we get into the act, just to kind of describe some of the things. I really loved the camera in this film. Uh, there's a constant moving, so it's a very subtle movement of the camera. It's not shaky like we're in a war zone but it, or point of view kind of horror film. It's just a very nice, smooth, uh, panning, tilting movement the whole time through. You know, I, so- I also noticed in this one there's a lot of the camera uh, close to the ground. Yep looking down on the characters and often the characters are not centered. Yeah, right. Like yeah, yeah. Now the rule of thirds was they're really, moving yeah. into the center. Yeah, yeah. Always so. It was very cinematic this film and I think that's what you're picking up on. Mm. So it was the rule of thirds are always really on that kind of extreme right, extreme left. Perfect examples like Gip um, driving the bus but we can still see the outer focus of the rest of the people in the bus but she's taking up that sort of third of the yeah. you know the, the bus because it's so that's a rectangle that's like a cinema screen but even then when we're super close like on the warden's face or the warden's office again he's off on one side and then the other characters on the other side so it was extremely cinematic but just one thing I noticed was the camera never stops moving so that can be used for a couple of reasons it's kind of like builds a bit of tension because you're always feeling like 
you're not settled, you're not mm. stationary, but it also adds a bit of slickness as well to the glossiness of the film, I think. So I reckon really good kudos to the DOP. It looked great. I, As I said before, those special effects, I thought the actual, you know, planes were incredible. I thought they really, they had reflections, they hovered, the ground shook, you know, dust clouds, all of those kind of things. I thought that was great. I thought the monsters looked great as well. It really surprised me. Were you surprised to see the monsters so early in the film? Like there wasn't really any surprise factor. They were just kind no, of straight we, we away. we knew they were monsters. Yeah, we knew they were monsters and we kind of got a good look at them really quickly. But they were great monsters. They had that kind of really good claw, huge humpbacks, big mouth. Um, did, again, they, did they remind you of the Dark Crystal? They did. And did you also know Shane Abess was at one point going to be directing the Dark Ooh, Crystal okay. Too? All right, there you go. So that's something I noticed after watching this film <laughs> and I thought... Is there is there any coincidence there? Is, is maybe that sort he of, kind of yeah designed maybe, those creatures well, maybe a bit after and... being you know considered. Maybe he was looking at this dark crystal too and and getting interested in it. He had a look at the old Skeksis, I think. Yeah, maybe. Called, and because these monsters are kind of like uh, fat-headed Skeksis. They are. Yeah, and I mean, I, but I thought they were really well done here. So. You know, they looked great. They they had a good revulsion to them. Some scary features. Yeah, I thought they were done really well. We got we get to see really up close a lot of their features. They looked real in the scene. So, I, I mean, I didn't question whether they were puppets or costumes or digital, you know. Like, it, it was well done, I thought. Um, I expect they, a mix. Yeah, I think so. And, the, and they also, like, moved in their environment in a really good way. So, it made it realistic. Um, very tight narrative, however... It is a, as Sari mentioned earlier, a chronological narrative that's broken up. So we can also say that that was done up in editing. Very unusual for film to kind of announce the chapters like the way he did. And uh, and you're right, like it seemed a bit smolty, a bit cheesy. That factoring when then the story was not at all cheesy. Mm. So you could sort of almost, you know, like Quentin Tarantino did it with Inglorious Bastards. It's almost like a homage to that type of film like uh, the exploitation of a film or he did it also he did it with grindhouse was another one that tarantino did and it's almost like you're going hey this is an exploitation film let's have some fun get a bag of popcorn and watch an exploitation film done by tarantino but this i didn't get the feeling that this was this like this was still a real genuine modern day sci-fi um so it'd be great to get abyss on the phone and ask him yeah what like what was the sort of theme there why 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 did you want to go down that path it was interesting but i'm not sure if it actually did connect to how slick the rest of the film was you know it wasn't like the film was cheesy or shot cheesily or you know shot in a really yeah old school sort of fashion i think an interesting thing they did well they did quite well was um, break the flashback, the chronological yeah. sort of shifting. But I wonder also how well they seem to fit with a five-act structure. Yeah. Because sometimes people break the three acts and they have, sort of have an extra couple of acts, mm. which is they break act two into two bits. Yep. And yep. then act three they have like a, a fifth. Yeah, like denuo, a breakdown. Like, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So uh, I, I didn't I, – I put the – the chapter markings in there, but mm. I, yeah, I'm not sure if they really fit with that six act structure, a uh, five act structure. But 
uh, interesting thought. Yeah, and I mean, I did get the vibe that there's a bigger arc here, like I said before. So let's get into it. So this film does start that opening image. There's a kind of young girl walking through a tunnel, one of those tunnels in Cooper Pedy. Yeah. <laughs> um, the limestone, or it's limestone, isn't it? That's I'm what, pretty I'm, sure. I'd imagine it would be. It looks like it looks like the beaches around around some of these areas actually. Um, and there's a voice. Her voiceover says, "Dad, Dad says, <laughs> Dad says." There's, they're all trying to do American accents in this, aren't they? Um, you can never trust a person who needed something from you. But also, he said he never met someone who needed something from someone. He didn't need something. Yeah. That's yes. it. I missed that. I missed the didn't. See, I stuffed my line. Um, You're fired. Fired. <laughs> that's right. And this is where we said the book ends because she repeats that line right at the end of the film as well. So it's pretty much setting up. And then we have this cut to... Daniel, he's rolling around in the dirt, the chucking the tantrum, and uh, we get told that he messed up with a squadron earlier in his career, and this idea that she is then looking for him, like she's looking for her dad. So there's a bit of false narrative there, isn't there? Because obviously at the end she already knows he's dead, but yeah, she's like, not for the audience. Not, she's it's not setting, literally. Yeah, she's not literally. So there's a little little. Leaving it out. But anyway, so the setup is that this Lieutenant Kane Somerville, he serves in Exor military forces. It's this massive circular base above the planet that they're above. And he's sort of in charge of infrastructure or something like that, isn't he? And he's building something. There's a prison. There's a colonization sort of happening. The prisoners are working the ground. And that's kind of, and he's, you know, we have this kind of nice setup where he's like, Playing with his daughter, his daughter's really bored. You and I, you yeah. and I know that, like what that's like. You try to give, do stuff with your kids, and they're like boring, boring, or whatever. Um, and that's kind of very, you know. And then it's not until he lets her fire the gun that then she's like not bored. Yes. <laughs> she likes that. Yeah. Anything else in the setup? Uh, and well, an interesting thing is that they mention this name of this uh, company or private military, or whatever it's called, Exor. Yeah, Exor. Yeah. Because in logic notation and computers. XOR is the exclusive OR, which means uh, if you have a non-exclusive OR, then you consider, say, right. one item is true or uh, the other one is okay, true yeah, yeah. or they can both be true. Yep. But yep. in XOR, only one thing can be true mm, at a time. Okay. The other one must be false, mm. uh, which sort of you know, reminds us of their reminds or, or it alludes us. I don't know, I've lost my power of speech there, but... <laughs> It basically tells us their attitude towards colonization, as we yeah. find out later on the film, where it's like we come to a planet and we clear it. So it's basically the, the XOR in the planet's us or them, mm. and it's only going to be exclusively ours. You know, like yep. so. I, th- I thought that was kind of nice. It's a bit of a, a nerdy sort of nod. Uh, there's the other thing here is the city is called Osiris. The, Osiris. We've got yeah. a big title card saying the Osiris Child, mm. which would be Horus. In Egyptian mythology, yep. interestingly enough. But the story of Osiris itself is one of uh, betrayal, uh, death, rebirth, and revenge. Mm, okay, so cu- cutting back to the so, theme uh, that you said, a bit you don't, talks about... you don't pick your name. Because you could have called it just... The city just could have been called Colony Base One. Yeah. Or something <laughs> really just kind of, or, you know, the city or something yeah. like uninteresting. Yep. But by choosing a particular name, like stands out, Osiris. Yeah. I've got to think that he was sort of talking about this is, you know, um, 
a, a brother's betrayal and then a, a rebirth and a revenge sort of thing. But it didn't make any sense until you finished watching the film. No, no, it and doesn't. And then probably only total nerds would think about it. But Yeah, you know. well, I got the connection to the name but and I thought it was a cool name. But, yeah, you sort of like it's obviously something about this child you know, what, what's going to happen to her. You know, obviously there's a premise there of that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you need to have that context to understand the story either. Oh, no, yeah. absolutely not. It's like I said, cool, it's very it's primal. Cool yeah, it's just a cool name. It's a cool name. So to me, the catalyst here, Surrey, is probably the, the, uh, the thesis, um, the catalyst or the inciting incident is that when the Commander General Linex which is Rachel Griffiths, she announces that, oh, the prisoners have overthrown the prison mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're threatening to basically detonate the, the town with a, with a nuclear reactor. Yes. And so what are we going to do about it? You know, so she kind of announced, she brings in her sort of key troops. So that to me is the catalyst. Do you agree? Yeah, and I sort of picked it up as being when the, uh, you know, Kane is sitting there, he's going, oh, talking, listen to his voice message from his daughter. It's all very taken for granted. You know, yeah. he's sort of going, oh, yeah, I really would, I do want to be a better dad, but you know, yeah, 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 yeah. she's talking, okay, I'm just, and then it gets cut off. Yeah. And then he's, he's kind of a bit concerned and he says, oh, just, yeah, she has permission for this excursion or whatever it was. And yeah, that's when that that would sort of that to me was the start because that's when yeah, you but, start yeah. sucking. Oh, okay, something's happening. Something's different. Yeah, like this. Something's yeah. happening here, and then it's we've got a, a bit of a cutaway to monsters running in the night and like yeah. a radio garbled radio call saying that you know there's They've nothing stopping them. It's yeah. they're killing everything in their path. Yeah, cut out. That to me, as a, you know, a dumb audience member, was like. Oh, monsters! Okay, yeah, we're about to get the story. Yeah, because so far we've just got okay, there's some dude pilot and he's brought his daughter to this planet. Yeah, great. And he's a, he and okay, yeah. so yeah, in that setup, he's an el- he's sort of a bit of an alco alcoholic. He's obviously separated. He's a bit jealous of his ex wife. He's not running the shop. Uh, yeah. The daughter's told us that he's kind of no longer a pilot. He's relegated to. You know, maintenance paper, work. paperwork or whatever. Um, so yeah, there's there's quite a few things, and he's not necessarily the best dad. That's that's the whole point in all that. No, is it? a bit absent, I suppose. Yeah. So the general telling us this information, we're then in this debate, kind of like he wants to get off the ship, like he wants to try to get to his daughter, but told that no one's leaving the ship. There's no telecommunications, so there's problems. Yeah. And then the so the debate straight away is like, oh, how do I get off the ship? Luckily, he is told by sort of one of the other commanders or whatever that the actual truth, which is that there are these monsters that we were experimenting on, the prisoners, and creating these kind of creatures, and everything the general's saying is bullshit. So you've kind of got a small window here that you can jump ship. Yeah, you've got about 30 minutes or something. Yeah, something like that. And otherwise, and also the time clock, he sets one of these time clocks, doesn't he? He's like, the general's going to blow the the city in, is it? 23 hours. 23 hours or something. Yeah, it doesn't really matter what the time clock is, does it? But yeah, so, so he, so as I said before, it's very primal. Father. Daughter's on the planet. I've got to get to her. It's going to be hard to get to her. Mm. What will are we he, going to do? Will he take his opportunity, jump yeah. in an airplane and fly off? Or will he just... Because he could have just sat there and he would have been perfectly fine. Yeah. And say, the movie would have ended. That's the end. There would have been no story. Nah, father loses daughter. Yeah, he'd be upset. <laughs> Caveman. Uh, Ooh, what are you doing? 
Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it'd be upset, but you know, maybe maybe he just you know hit the drugs a bit harder or something. Yeah, keep drinking. Yeah, it's not, it's not that wouldn't make for a very good film. No. Um. So no, he does, and we men- I mentioned before, great pilot scene. So he go- he goes off. Um, of course, is the thing he's left. He's kind of deflected, like anyone deflecting from the meet, uh, the military. You're going to be chased down, hunted, killed. <laughs> he overcomes the other pilot by a bit of expertise, as we mentioned before, not so much technical ability of the plane. Um, and he just gets it, crash lands out of the plane into a lake. And just as he comes to from that, a guy decks him one, drags him out of the water, which I noticed. Um, because I watched it through and then I kind of just jumped back. There was a moment that at the very start of the film when he kind of, he's lumped onto the ground in the water, near the water, when the girl is saying that voiceover about what her dad says. And it's from that scene. So even at the very start, we're sort of showing the time is a bit distorted in this film. Yeah. So, you know, the narrative is not so much time. And, And to me, this, he meets this escaped and he says he was a nurse and that the prison, you know, he's not really interested in helping him. So I wasn't too sure why he just punched him out of the water or whatever, but self-protection, I suppose. Yeah. Is that but, a hard life? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I was like, um, yeah, he doesn't want to help him. And he's like, look, I'm just here to get my daughter. You go that way. I'm going this way. Um, and with that, he's kind of like, oh, you're going to get your daughter. Ugh. All right. I'm going to help you. Yeah. And to me, that's the break into two. Yes, yeah, that's that's where we now have all the parts fall into place. Yeah, for the fun and games. Yeah, so, so kind of, and we 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 presume he's probably not a nurse; he's probably a prisoner because we don't actually know at that point. And so cleverly here, this is where we flash back to inside the prison before the riot, and this is sort of size story. Yeah, his, and uh, we get a bit of bit of insight into the fact that the prisoners are really slaves. Yep. Uh, you know, they're not paid. Mm. You know, they keep saying that they're paying their debt to society. Yeah. You're like, well, no, I have this strange feeling that society probably just invents yeah. debts to get enough workers. Yeah. Because that's what they're doing here in Australia with that. They're saying that just anyone, you know, the, yeah. the famous line is, you know, they, they're caught stealing a loaf of bread that's to feed right. themselves yeah, and yeah. they're sent to Australia. Yeah. You just think, okay, sure, you're stealing a loaf of bread. What's that? You know, maybe, maybe a bit of a time working off the price of a loaf of bread or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, 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 you're actually going to spend, you know, you're three months on that. a ship yeah. sailing across the other side of the world where you are not coming back. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, gee, that doesn't seem like a fair or reasonable punishment, <laughs> but okay. Yeah. Here so, we are in Australia now doing this podcast. So. That's right. <laughs> Thanks to those ancestors. The thing there is, yeah, we, we, we're seeing the warden, so we get introduced to him and he's a tough nut. We, we see that um, there's no real way out and we also learn that they aren't – their punishment at the extreme level is also some sort of genetic mutation probably into these creature things. Yeah. Um, so, Sai and a couple other guys, I, I really liked that. It was a real maniac, high-pressure scene that they're sitting around talking about how to escape – and there's a bit of madness in it all, isn't there? There's well, kind yeah. of a bit of well, that that mad character, the dude, he was uh, very, you know, uh, manic and and mm. insane, and you mm. sort of got the feeling that he was a, a bit of an unstable cookie. There, they all seemed a bit unstained, and so it's it and even size says, you know, we're going to do this. You can't, don't stand me up. Like we're doing this. We we yeah. need it. We need well, us all is, to do they it. They all have to get into solitary. Yeah. Because they know that one of the solitary cells has like a little 
panel. Yeah. And they reckon that this filament, you know, cotton filament from their sock in something rather will short circuit it and yeah. it'll let them open all the prison cells. Yeah. And that'll mean that there'll just be absolute chaos and that's yeah. the best chance to try and get away. Yeah. And the, so the risk there, of course, is the that everyone has to get into uh, solitary. Mm-hmm. So if anyone doesn't go into solitary, yeah. then there's got to, there's a chance that one of the cells is that's the one that will have the um, secret button. That's right. It's also not very obvious what Sai's in for at this point. Like he's, he seems a little bit more straight-edged than the yeah. others. And although he's obviously, he is guilty, he doesn't, he seems much more level-headed, I suppose. And so, and they're not really letting on in this part of the story why, why he's actually well, there. The two guys he's talking to, one of them is clearly a bit yeah, manic and unhinged and mm. impulsive. Yeah. And the other guy seems a little bit more thoughtful and so forth, but he's got some... Uh, I could only assume are supposed to be gang tattoos of yeah, some yeah. sort. So he's probably maybe himself not a totally like off the wall wicked dude. Yeah. But he's clearly been associated with doing a lot of bad stuff. Yeah. Anyway, they get into solitaire and they do escape through this and of course they unleash these monsters. Did, did you like the the um concept of the solitary I loved it I reckon the hamster wheels the hamster wheel they never end I like that no wonder you go insane you would because I've been on a couple of those kind of things those rides with the little kids yes you know like even just at a park they've got some of those like you know you go up and round and round and round and like honestly as an adult I think as a kid you can handle it a lot more it's got something to do with like you know the your brain (laughs) the cushy bit in your brain as you get a bit older and I've gone round and round those things and you're just like after about I don't know six or seven times you kind of feel pretty crook yeah and it's not fun it's not fun and and I'm thinking wow if you go into that and they're running that for a couple of hours or out a day I don't know I don't know how long they put them in there for but it's it just it looks (laughs) I wouldn't go back uncomfortable yeah I know I know so yeah they were a great idea yeah, um, well, we have that scene where we do see the prisoner who is beaten up by the warden mm. is in like a, a you know, whole bunch of bars and there's like a monster yep. comes up and stings him yeah. and he falls down and he's gets white veiny bits on his head. Yep. And, and then Foams we, at the mouth. Then, then we cut over to the other cell. Yeah. And just as that is starting to get a bit tense, the door suddenly opens and he drops yep. out. Yeah. But that, of course, means also that the monster's cells were also open. Yes. And so that's that's sort of pretty much where we cut to chapter three. Yep. And we're back to the pilot and, you know, Kane and Sai. Yep. Having a bit of walk. They've got to, got to get to the city. Yeah. And he's, he's like, it's too far away. You're never going to make it. And he goes, well, we're not going to. We're going to get to this bar. And yeah. so they go to this bar. And we, as we mentioned before, it's a bit Mad Maxy. You know, it's a rough looking thing that they yeah, put so, together. So this is definitely fun and games yeah. today where we're going... Yeah. It's uh, a tough situation to get through. So we've seen a bit of the prison fight and a bit of a yeah. prison escape. You know, that's kind of fun. Yeah. And then now we're now like... We've got the crazy people in the bar they've got yeah. to negotiate. And there's like a Mad Max bus they've got to ride yeah. on. <laughs> oh, they need some guns. Yeah. So well, let's go to these I other... know some guys <laughs> that sell guns. <laughs> yeah. And then we get them and they're... They're off the wall crazy. <laughs> they are kooky. And it's funny, isn't it? Because they're re- the I liked the way, again, as a writer point of view, Shane and Brian have done this where, you know, like they, they go, you're going to get these, these guns and can we trust them? And he's like, yeah, you can trust them. And these two dodgy guys come out and one does the talking, the other's like, I don't know, he just looks like a creepy. He's looking pretty creepy. He's looking creepy as anything, you know, and he's looking tough and whatever. And they want more, they don't want to do the deal. 
because he's an XR yeah. military guy. And then, well, what what sort of amount of money will get us there? And then it's like, oh, 30, 30. And he's like, okay, well, I'll pay 30,000. Right? So he pays 30,000 clams, whatever it is. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah. And they're still looking all tough and dandy. And then they get, he takes the guns and walks away. And then we have this real like, hillbilly kind of moment where they're kind of like, yeah, 30 Gs <laughs> sort of thing. And they celebrate and they dance and they drink. And it was a real like, I really liked that because they, as an audience, we weren't privy to who these people were. No, they're just these weird, crazy, you know, these weird, dangerous people. Like, dangerous guys that do guns and military. You don't know exactly what they're like, which is the same for Kane. Like he doesn't know who these people are. And yet then... After they've received the money, we get privy to their sort of world where they're like, yeah, he fell for it. <laughs> you know, like they're not really that tough after all. They're just kind of outback crazy people. Just, yeah. So they just want to have a bit of fun. Like 30,000, you know, clams is pretty good for anyone. You know, that's a lot of chowder. They it's can a lot make. of chowder, yeah. And so they're, the, they're there having a good old time and one of them's building a gun and one of them's passed out. And we get this scene where the monsters just surround them. And really what this is, is it's a great moment to sort of see the trickery of the monsters because they kind of come out of their surroundings and they were there and you couldn't yeah. see them and then, they, then they're actually there. And so to see their violence because then they obviously attack, but it's also part of the time clock, isn't it? Because Cain was just there. Yeah. So it shows us that the monsters are also on his tail. Like they're, they're they're surrounding them, aren't they? Yeah, they're all over the shop. Yeah. So not only does he have to get to his daughter and rescue her, but from the bomb going off from the general, the monsters are, are everywhere around and you. And I think look. this is sort of the, uh, I reckon we're getting towards midpoint. Here, we are, yeah, yeah. Where... Yeah. Where it was all the so the fun and games is that you know collect the truck they meet the the crazy couple yeah they get the truck and then they manage to get through this tense negotiation with mm. the crazy mad maxi gun runners uh, and drive off yep and now we get this distinct change in tone we do where we go from the the partying and they get massacred yes yeah and, and, and it's, okay yeah now the the monsters that we've only sort of seen in these flashbacks and things have hit. Hit the the current. They're time. close, aren't they? They're yeah, on stage. yeah. They're on stage. You're exactly right. And and to me, I agree. That's the midpoint. So right. and a, the time is running out. We yeah. see the point that they're getting pretty low on time now. So all of this, the bad guys closing in. They're heading for the city as fast as they can, but it's going to take a, a lot of time. We this is where we do learn about Bill and Jip are not just lovers, but they're also step family. So it kind of makes it all a bit like, uh, yeah, they're not just druggies in love they've got something else going on i think so it's like raising those stakes because they're going to be together in their bunker yeah and and they go they're going to have to trust them in the city yeah yeah going uh yeah like maybe their decision making is not quite there and then when they get to the city as well it's in ruins there's soldiers some soldiers fighting there's monsters ripping apart other people there's bombs blowing up um it's all just a big disheveled catastrophe really like it's not that's safe Goody yeah <laughs> that's gonna be on a saturday night oh, this- sorry, Goody <laughs> yeah. it was a lovely town um, when i went there it was just very hot yeah yeah and uh, no it's it's a town in ruins and fighting and war and there's no it's not like one military just attacking another military it's just kind of fighting street fighting everything's going on and uh so he finds the place where his daughter is uh, goes up there, has a little twist shock of the person looking after his daughter's dead, but his daughter's alive. So it's like, ah, oh, a breather. 
Um, but no, they can't then get out of the building because the monsters are taking over the building. Uh, and then when they go to jump, um, sorry, they go to escape at the same time, Bill and Jip, who have been kind of protecting the van, a bomb goes off and Bill gets seriously hurt. Poor Bill. Um, when they get back into the, they, they do jump off the building to get back onto the bus. And that was a great shot, wasn't it? That mm. the, uh, side just grabs the door and goes, we're going to have to jump. And he just jumps. Like, you don't really see how high we are. We know we're up high as an audience, but we don't know how far it is to the bus. It's not quite as far. It's like a, a story or something. Yeah. But the impression, it was a great way of shooting it because we didn't really know. And it's also cool because I think it shows Sai as a bit of a hero, as a bit of a fatherly figure. He's, he's an um, action. And he's willing to do, he's willing to take that risk, like risk his own life to save the daughter. And he even did it because maybe um, Kane, sorry, as the father wouldn't have done it. Like he would have thought it was too risky. Well, yeah, because he, he was a bit indecisive. Yeah, a bit yeah. So he sort of took, he took the role. Um, and this is then like, to, it's a perfect, you know, someone dying that all is lost is that Bill does die. So th- that's the all is lost moment yeah, to me. It, so it, it's the stakes, isn't it? Yeah. Because up until that point, it's still kind of Yahoo! Yeah, yeah we're yeah. going to do this, then we're going to We're going to fight these monsters. And everyone gets the codes, yeah. and yeah. then it's just, it's done. And it's, this is, this, I think, uh, I'm going to say this is coming to the choosing act three, because Jip at this point is the one who's indecisive. They're going, well, we've got to go. And you're thinking, yeah, is yeah. Jip going to go? No, yeah, because she was out. the one that was most upset, obviously. Yeah, and she's uh, is she going to continue on with this, or is she going to go? What's the point? Mm, yeah, and she she seemed to have that moment, yeah. didn't she? And they're like, "Got to drive the bus, got to get out of here, got to drive," and and then she does. She 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 decides to go on, and I think there's a real nice moment there, even with saying that Kane, sorry, that you know, like he even looks at her and he's like, "Well, you rescued my daughter, but you've lost your your partner," you know, like. I get it. You know, we came here for my daughter and you helped me with that, but we've lost your one, you know. So, yeah, I think he kind of got it. There was a nice beat there for a moment. So, we do. We take into Act 3 and we're this bus is heading to the bunker. We've got like five minutes. They're going to detonate in five minutes. It's a great time clock. And this is the the gearing up action plan. So, they've got this plan now. They've got the codes. They've got the daughter. Everyone on board. Okay, all we have to do is get there. Just got to get there. And, of of course... Yeah, as, as I said, in. there's always a twist. Like <laughs> if if it wasn't, you'd be dissatisfied. They That's just right. drove to the bunker, got in the bomb, went off, and they all came out. Yeah, we're alive. Yeah, we're okay. You'd kind of feel a bit cheated. Like, oh well, that was a bit easy. That's right. So to make it a little bit harder, a suddenly a pilot rocks up, and um, he's like, "Look, that pilot can't stay here for too long while the detonation. So just don't go to the bunker. Keep driving." The pilot kind of watches them and then takes off. And he's like, quick, turn around, let's go back. And they head back. Well, it was, it was the, the thing was they've got five minutes. Yep. And he said it's going to take four minutes for that ship to, to get, get out of range. Uh, to, of, yeah, yeah, to safety. So we know that when it finally turns around at just past four minutes, mm. they've got less than a minute to yeah. get there. Yeah. And so it's, it's very tense and they go flying back. Yeah. But the pilot comes back and blows the living crap out of the bus. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> With a good old fashioned, just not not a bomb, which you think it probably would have done to save its own ass. Now nah, it just fires total recall style, yeah, you know, big, big fire, you know, big huge machine guns just onto this bus, and everyone gets annihilated basically. And it's been shot really cleverly in that we sort of we see Jip get blown apart, and so she's dead. Uh, again, raising those stakes, and everyone else dives under. The daughter dives under chairs. 
um, Kane does. And then when Cy kind of gets his bearings and just looks all around, he discovers that, yeah, Kane is actually, he's been shot about 1,800 times. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was kind and, of a, a, a surprise it to was me. It was a surprise it? to me, yeah. yeah. I wasn't expecting I think, it. though, he did quite well by having those flashbacks to show us um, Cy's background mm. and things that you've, you've you know, I was wondering through this, you realize that the daughter is actually the protagonist. Mm. Even though she's not majorly featured, you're following Cy and Kane. Yeah. This is, and, and it kind of makes sense that title, the chapter one or the, you know, the science fiction part one or whatever mm. it was, chapter one, or, yeah. which is yeah, science fiction part one, which gives you the feeling that this is actually sort of the prologue yeah. to the real stories going yeah. on next. But it, um, Kane getting blown to pieces. I was like, "Oh, okay, that's that's quite brutal and unexpected." Yeah. I wasn't really sure where this was headed. Now, yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, Kane, getting all the names. Sai, 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 and India go running out. Yeah, well, he kind of just scoops her up, and she's yeah, she's she's in grief for obviously about her father. Um, and he he runs into the tunnels, into the bunker. We know they've got less than seconds before it detonates. And unfortunately, just as he's getting into those good old tunnels and heading to the bunker, he gets zapped by one of the monsters. Yeah. We see even in his DNA sort of change. Black. And uh they but they get to the door and he and he locks the door behind him and then he's starting to be sick and, and climbing into the bunker and he's like, I'm not going with you. Give me something sharp. I need to you know, he's and he's getting infected very quickly. So again raising the stakes here and she gets out scissors to give to him, but she's like, I'm not going to give you these. And he's like, no, come on. And then and then there we see cut to the general and the general is basically like detonating the bomb. Yeah, so, the so it's a great like twist. And then this is where we get a different chapter. Another chapter comes up and that surprised me, sorry, because I was not expecting that. I was expecting the, you know, does he go in the bunker? Does he not go in the bunker? And this is where we get kind of size. We're now flashing back and Sai is a nurse this At this hospital, chapter six, original sin. Yeah, and and so it's a really unique position in the you know we're at the climax, and the whole point here is we discover that he's a nurse, and his wife and uh, child were killed by a drunk driver, and he happened to be on you know station as a nurse that night on shift, and as he starts to realise it's his wife who's you know all bloodied up and that his child's he's already been told his child's dead. And the drunk driver's wheeled into another room and he seems to be okay. Yeah. And with that, his wife sort of just then on the theatre table, emergency table, they can't, you know, resuscitate her. She dies. He then goes in and murders the driver, you know, then and there. So we now know, ah, that's why he was in the prison. Yeah. He's not, and that's that moral question. It's like, oh, he didn't just kill someone or he didn't. He got there in out of a real pain scenario. Yeah, and and that's sort of a, you know a saving grace for him because now, is, now yeah. we can see okay he's not just a psychotic killer. He was yeah. a, he had a bit of a break there, and again we can feel sympathy for him mm. because yeah I, I like that the drunk driver was a young, good-looking, blonde, yeah. <laughs> obviously rich kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he had that look. 
He had it coming to him. And so, <laughs> as as us commoners who are not, you know, yeah. young blonde, well, he's just at size, rich, just a male nurse. I mean, you know, yeah, like that. We we look at that and go, yeah, he deserves to die. Yeah, yeah he kind Which of. Is pretty, it's pretty harsh. Really. It is harsh, but it's an interesting point in the story because we also know he's dying now. He's become always becoming a monster, you know. Yeah, and it's so a, it's a strange point to have that flashback. Yeah, there, which is kind of. This is kind of the the real finale. Mm. So yeah, all yeah. of the rest of it, yeah. they, they've overcome that bit now. Now we have almost this point where we have to see him gather the strength to win the final victory. Mm. And you, often it is a a little flashback memory of something that happened earlier in the film. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, you'll you'll flashback to when the mentor says. Use the force, yeah. or something like, you know, yeah, yeah, like this. Yeah, like an uh, but in this power. case, it was a flashback to his own past, mm. which so we can see he is very strongly motivated, and he has a he has that that primal connection. And he was a father as well. To knowing right. what it's like, okay, no, mm. he does have a protective, you know, instinct. Yes, he has a very very strong instinct here. So. Yeah. And that's how come we go into the final image, if you yeah. like, which well, is where... Yeah, yeah. And and that is now a, fl- a fast forward because mm. now we're not going back to when the general detonated. We go back, so we go forwards in the timeline to then these two rescuers a, or whatever or scavengers, future, yeah, and they've discovered a beacon. So they're like, you know, they're back in the tunnels and they see this beacon and they... And they come out, and then we get that same shot of the daughter at the start of the film. So she's in the same tunnel, and she's coming towards the these two rescuers or whatever you want to call them, and um, or scavengers. And they're like, "Oh, there's a girl here," you know, like they're surprised because they said everyone died. Um, and one of these monsters then comes out, kills one of them, and the female rescuer that's left. They, the daughter and the monster work together. So we yeah, know, oh, it's a little bit. Sur- it's a, it's sur- like, sur- oh, okay. So, you know, the monster's not just attacking, they, they survived. It's like, oh, okay, that's probably Sai. Yeah. And, um, she threatens, she says, you've got to take me to, you know, where that thing in the sky was, the military thing. And so, sort of by hostage, Sai and her get on this little spacecraft and they're going to go up to the, yeah, where the the general is, so and to speak. They're, they're communicating by sign language. Yeah, and and that's an interesting. They like so they're communicating, and she repeats that same dialogue that I got a bit wrong at the start again about people trusting each other and using mm. each other and whatever from her dad. And she also says the line that we're going home now, so it's like we're leaving this planet. We're going on. So yeah, yeah to me, and then that's the end. So it's an it's definitely a leading into a bigger world scenario, but it's still very much a satisfactory ending yeah yeah and it's interesting because it's that whole going off to get revenge which is a common plot in we're talking about this sort of schlocky sort of exploitation type films is often about a revenge plot and this one finally finishes with this is how the revenge plot starts yeah. and and saying she's saying goodbye to her dad like she's she that's the final time to my dad whereas at the start it's the bookends at the start she said i'm looking for my dad and at the end See you, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> the end. Great job, Abyss. Really cool film. I enjoyed it. So where does it go on your ladder? Sorry. So for me, I am suggesting people out there should watch good old Equals. Really enjoyed that kind of clean, futuristic type of film. And then I reckon if you put this one in 
after that. So if you watched Equals one night or during the day and then you watch this film later um, and then followed by Revolt, I think oh, that yes. would be an interesting sort of trilogy Re- of Revolt, films. Revolt, I can see, has a similar... Uh, hmm. I, I had it like always near Revolt. Yep. But this was The Osiris Child and Prospect. Oh, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I really liked... Um, They're both I, out there in the world. Yeah, it's kind building. of the, the daughter and a stranger... Mm. Yeah, it is a bit similar that way, isn't it? Bonding and trying to, you know, get off this planet and things like, like yeah. and and the the filming style is is sort of similar and yeah, um, yeah there's a lot of sort of tone there and I, also I think, a corporation again. Yeah, it would get you, you know, versus that, the everyday people. Yeah, you sort of in that thing. So and then revolt after prospect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, you know is bring us back to earth and. I don't know, it has a, again, I felt because it's in that South Africa sort yeah. of look, it had that same sort of harsh light and yeah, a lot of sort of feeling to it that was sort of similar. You could do a triple feature of that. There, I mean, you all three there, they are all very a harsh world as well. Yeah, it's like a tough setting to exist, not only the place, but also the, you know, this, this film was a very tough world for the, the characters the relationships to, to, to live in. Yeah. And things, yeah. yeah, so that's a really good point. But where would you put it on your ladder? Where would you suggest? Let us know. Hit us up. Um, how what, How's your ladder going? You and, can see ours online and, and you know, enter yours. Let us know about yours. Yeah, or you, even just this film. Where would you put this film? Would you do a double header, you yeah, know, the old say, fashioned? What, what sort of, you know, double feature or a triple yeah. play or a marathon? Yeah. Because uh, by by now that there's so many yeah. films in our ladder that you've kind of got to break it down into you these do, sort of into little... thematic, you know, um, duologies or trilogies. I think so. So let us know anyway. You can let us know on social media, on uh, you know, our website, email, whatever you want to do. Reach out and let us know your ladder. So it's time for a bit of science. Are you going to be talking about mutants, teenage mutant ninja turtles, the dark crystal mutants? Mutants, yes, mutants. <laughs> or, in fact, or are you mutants? Mutation. Mutation. Tell me about this Gene mutation. Gene modification for the furtherance of human evolution. Oh, I like it. I like it. The- well, it's a very common theme in science fiction mm. is to have do science <laughs> evolution or gene editing you know, yeah. modifications, and mm. it's often portrayed in a, a very rapid fashion. Yeah, maybe in the future that will be possible. Storytelling, <laughs> yeah, I mean storytelling. But the real world, we do have gene modification, and there's a very real possibility of using it to create super advanced humans. Nice. About time. But would they be classified as humans or not? So let's let's go back to back to the uh, the turn of the century. Right. Uh, in fact, if you go back to 500 um, BC, you got Hippocrates. Yeah. Uh, Don't get back too far. Sorry. Don't get back too far. Hippocratic <laughs> oath. You know, he's is a Greek yeah. physician. He wrote this lovely manual about medical stuff, which is mm-hmm. where we get the the whole um, lot of imagery and so forth. He mm. spoke about cancer he identified cancers and the word cancer is actually the latin for crab because mm, the cancer okay. he's looking at was in the shape of a crab ah. and so that's really that's where it comes from anyway uh it was recognized that there were it was a change in existing structures mm. it wasn't something foreign coming in it was your body failing you yeah right and moving forward to say the turn of the century where we're looking at uh discussion of mutagens so uh, mustard gas mutating fruit flies, mm. for example. 
So they could see that was happening. Before. This is before the DNA was discovered and what this was all about. Mm -hmm. I mean, rolling forward, it was relatively recently. Uh, we're looking at like the 60s and 70s where we're talking about ionizing radiation and carcinogens causing mutations. Mm. There's also a discovery that uh, certain viruses cause mutations. And the reason I keep bringing up cancer is because most mutations result in cancer yeah. uh, or massive organ failure. It's yeah. it's really not a case that you'll get zapped by gamma radiation and become the Hulk. Aww. It's more like you'll be zapped <laughs> by gamma radiation and become dead. <laughs> like so crap, so isn't quicker. it? <laughs> it's, not, it's not great. No. But it is a relatively modern thing. If we if we move forward again now where we, we know about DNA, we know that DNA... Uh, is two bits of protein and it unravels a bit and it transcribes out. And we spoke about this last week about messenger RNA, which then creates proteins, which is yeah. the messengers of our body, tells us to grow and to lose weight, to gain weight, to yeah. do everything, metabolize and so forth. If you were to change that DNA, then yes, you would start expressing different proteins which would give different messages. Mm. You could, for example, there's the myostatin gene which tells our body to stop making muscle. Right. So if you are deficient in this gene in your DNA, uh, which, for example, there's a, there's a famous kid who's born to two uh, very, um, you know, oh, yeah. highly achieved yeah, athletes that's right. yep. who both carried uh, a partial myostatin gene modification mm. and he, he had it. Yeah. Uh, nothing more has been spoken about this because they don't want to be a freak. Massive disappointment to those parents. Ah, yes. <laughs> they were um, massive athletes, right? And they just, yeah. Well, so, well, the, the kid then is, is theoretically probably going to be extremely strong. Yeah. Because, uh, but we don't, we don't know because that's being kept yeah. private and fair enough. I, fair I enough. don't blame yeah. them for that. It's, no. You don't want your child to be some sort of weird freak science show, like, science yeah. experiment. They didn't need the money. Yeah. Um, but there is the yeah the Belgian blue double muscle cows. That's if you've right. ever yeah, seen yeah. those fellas? Are these, yes. They've got this this mutation. Yeah. So mutations can do that sort of thing. Uh, there is quite importantly a mutation on about ten percent of Europeans mm. on the I don't know, they call it the CCR five gene or whatever that means. Okay. But this is the gene which stops the HIV virus from being able to infect mm, those okay. people. Yeah, so yeah. there's about 10% of Europeans are highly resistant to HIV. Right. Uh, and so there's an interest to go, okay, well, what happens if we introduce this mutation on somebody to you know, knock out this CCR5 gene, mm. stop it from expressing, would they become immune to HIV? Mm. And the short answer is we, we don't really know. But the longer answer is... Probably, like, because that's what it does. Yeah, right. Now, the question comes, though, to how you could do this. We've got a technology called CRISPR, which stands for something very long and technical, hmm. but it's called CRISPR, which is a con concoction of um, proteins and uh, hormone-type chemicals and so forth that you can deliver to a cell, which will open up and you can program it through which proteins you include. Because remember, DNA is just this, this uh, like a ladder in a double helix of proteins, you know, the, the GAT, yeah. C are the, the proteins. Mm -hmm. So RNA matches onto that and peels off. So you can specifically choose which pattern of these proteins yep. you're going to knock out, yep. destroy. They call it gene shears, slice. 
the DNA has self-healing capabilities mm-hmm. and sometimes it fails and that cell dies and it gets taken out by your immune system. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it uh, re- you know, repairs itself by picking up, you know, there's other DNA floating around in your cell. Yeah, you don't yeah. just have one strand. You've got a whole heap of the damn things. And, and it repairs itself. Mm. That's not a problem. But what you do with this CRISPR, though, is you introduce into the cell also the new material you want to put in there. Mm. And it will incorporate that into the gene. So you can splice in your own gene into the DNA strand. Yeah. You can do this one cell at a time type of thing. Mm-hmm. So how do you... You know, in these movies, for example, this one, someone gets a little sting, it's like an injection yeah. of some material, and then their whole body undergoes a massive transformation. Right. CRISPR doesn't really let you do it. It has a mechanism partially to, to do that on a cell-by-cell basis. Yeah. But to do that for the whole body, you'd need something like a retrovirus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what are they called? Um, oh, anyway, like HIV is a retrovirus, which is why yeah. it's so difficult. Uh, hepatitis. Um, um and herpes. So you can't once you get these viruses, you you can't get rid of them. They incorporate mm-hmm. themselves into your DNA. Yeah. The only way you can get rid of it is by destroying the cell that has the virus in it, mm-hmm. which your body does do from time to time. Uh-huh. But you you can in theory destroy all of your infected cells and survive. And in fact, that's how some people have been cured of HIV. Yeah, is by having right. a bone marrow transplant with someone who is immune. And they're given the immune cells of this person who doesn't have this gene, mm. which means they're producing blood and immune cells which can't be infected by HIV, which mm. means those immune cells can now do their job properly. Right. Yeah. So you use a retrovirus, which is something that will infect your cell. But the downside, of course, at the moment, we can't really do this properly. Uh, it'd be cool if we could because you could, if you could discover, for example, how to increase the length of your telomeres through gene therapy... You mm-hmm. can infect someone with an anti-aging virus. Yeah, right. It, and it, and you could make it contagious. Yeah. So you, <laughs> you could basically do like a a health virus that spreads across the earth and makes everyone healthy. Beautiful. Or I am legend. You could turn everyone into you know ravenous monsters. <laughs> More like you just give everyone cancer. What do you mean reverse uh, change in the measles? Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah, but they really. Creepy, interesting, morally ambiguous, ethically peculiar section here mm. is CRISPR, we can change one cell at a time. Yeah. There is a time in the human life where we are just one cell. Right. Just after, you know, uh, fertilization, mm. we are one, two, maybe four cells. Yeah. We could take those cells, edit them with whatever we wanted to, and then let that embryo develop. You would therefore get (laughs) this gene modification spread throughout the the human body that developed. Yeah. And that human would pass that on to their children. Yeah. Which would mean that you could start a new form of evolution. Uh, Mm. Would they be human? They don't have the same human genome everyone else has. Mm. You could, for example, breed super soldiers. More likely you'll just kill a whole bunch of babies. Yeah. But... (laughs) Which is why people don't do it, except in 2018. Oh, no. We all heard about this uh, Chinese scientist, Dr. He Jianghuan. Sorry, Mm. He. (laughs) And sorry, all the Chinese listeners out there. I'm not Chinese. I've never spoken a word of Chinese in my life. So, He is his name. Mm. Uh, In 2018, 
he announced to the world that he had, through IVF processes and, and babies. for gene editing, <laughs> produced twin girls who mm. were immune to HIV. Right. And this was of particular importance to him because in the, uh, the parents, the father had HIV. Right. So the, you know, the babies mm. would have gotten it. Yep. He claims that he modified their genome such that they, the CCR5 gene was knocked out. Mm. And there is also some talk about the fact that this may also have led the, you know, developed these babies to have heightened intelligence mm. because this gene is associated with uh, the way your brain develops, which of course makes you think that could you create a, a line of humans that were super intelligent. Maybe you, you take care of the myostatin gene, they're super strong. Yeah. Uh, and there's that fellow, um, goodness me, is Ralph. Oh, I can't remember his last name now. He's the British wealthy adventurer who is immune to fatigue. Yeah, he, he's run seven marathons in seven days uh, on seven yeah, continents. Yeah. It's just insane. Like, the only way he can do that is through. Mutation. I think we spoke about him on Freaks, You're One of Us. We did, we did, As yeah. a modern day, like a real life superhero. Yeah. You know, you could give that attribute to mm. babies and then you would have these you know, like super humans. Mm. But this, of course, is where everyone looks at it and goes, well, hold on. These are humans. They're not getting a choice in yeah. you changing these things. And we don't actually know if these twins are immune to HIV. Yeah. Uh, the CCR5 gene is not, uh, or, or rather, is 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 present in most Asians. Uh, Southeast Asia has very very little in the way of immunity. Ten percent of Europeans have high resistance to HIV. Mm. Almost no Southeast Asians. So right. no, none of the. I, don't, I know this. There's a numerous racial groups in China, but basically none of them have immunity to HIV. Mm. Because having this gene actually reduces your um, immunity to the West Nile River virus. Yeah, right. And a number of other Southeast Asian viruses. So they're more susceptible now to these things, mm. which not a problem if you're living in Finland. Yeah. Because there's, I don't know if there's any mosquitoes in, in Finland and they don't carry the West Nile for sure. Mm. Uh, so there's this, you know, this problem that, yeah, you've given them this, you may have shortened their lifespan. Hmm. There may be other unintended consequences, um, various disabilities. They say it, it affects mental uh, acuity, yeah. but in what way are they actually going to be very autistic? Yep. Which could make it hard to you know operate with other people in society. Yep. You know, uh, sure, they could be very intelligent, but if they don't get the right support and head down the right pathways, mm -hmm. they could find life very frustrating. Yep. And someone did that to them. Mm. This wasn't a case of just an accident at birth. This is somebody did this to them. So uh, anyway, I want to escape from the prison and we, kill people. Yeah, well, ravage people. That's that's. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're autistic, uh, we know that you're hiding the desire to escape from prison and kill people. Yeah, most of you aren't in prison, which is probably good. So write to us and tell us about your desire. <laughs> but in all seriousness. He, the Dr. He, is in prison because mm. even China said, you've actually kind of gone a little bit further than what we think is appropriate. Yeah, right. And I say even China because uh, you would imagine if there was some place that was going to 
go for super soldiers. Mm. We in the West have been told it will be China. Yeah. And uh, no, they've said actually no, we don't approve of this. This is not appropriate. So I'm I'm kind of relieved that yeah they do have that same desire. Uh-huh. Having said that, militaries all over the world have explored that. They've they've written uh, what do you call it thought pieces or yeah. Um, you know what do you call it? like thought experiments of what would it take? Yeah. <laughs> what sort of super soldier could you get? Yeah. The, the usual Where do answer. you get babies from? <laughs> the, the usual, yeah. How, how does that work exactly? Um, you know, I've been a researcher in DARPA for too many years now, and I'm not really sure exactly how that works. That's it. I can tell you how this robot works and this exoskeleton <laughs> and this weapon system, but hmm. babies? Hmm. No, so it's, um, yeah, most, mostly the answer is no, it's not worth breeding superhumans. It's, it's far better just to make better robots. Yeah, you'd imagine you'd get better return on investment, I think. Yeah, I mean, you can make a better gun and better armor. Mm. Trying to make a better human is, is just, I mean, what do you do with like people sort of saying, you could make them killers without remorse and without, but you're just making a bunch of psychopaths, right? Yeah, you yeah. do know we already have them and they don't fit in well. They have difficulty. Yeah, and you, that's the thing with super soldiers is like, yeah, so you'd breed a whole bunch of them. So let's say you just do a, a, a batch of 30. I mean, you're not going to get 30 behaving as soldiers, are you? One's going to be an emo. One's going to be against the grain. One's going to be too smart for the system and not want to be a soldier. One's going to have the no remorse, like, no pain, no rest for it. And they're going to express that through interpretive dance. That's right. And, and like, you know, one will be a writer or an artist or a bloody podcaster. podcaster. Ugh. Yeah. And yet, so you've spent all that money and all that years of genetic development and you end up with maybe a couple that actually are soldiers. And then if you try to force the other ones to be soldiers, yeah, they might I remind you, Wrath of Khan. Yeah, that's right. And as you said, if they're total, like if they don't feel pain or something, right? Like they'll probably just go, "Well, you can't do anything anyway. I don't want to be a soldier." Yeah. Like, what are you gonna do? Yeah, we're gonna make you watch <laughs> Sister Act Two yeah. on repeat. Oh my god, no. <laughs> Yes. Anyway, so there we go. So that's that's mutants. That's sort of a, a brief look at the mutants. I, I didn't go too far into that one, but yeah, there it is interesting that it has supposedly been done. It's mm. not been again. These these girls have been not exposed to public scrutiny, so mm. it's you know they're kind of like, well, let's let them live their life. So we don't really know if they were experiments or if he was just kind of you know making a show of it or what. But mm. there's it. It has raised this magic, massive ethical question about if yeah. we could, for example, if we knew we could uh, make people immune to HIV or yeah. uh, various cancers like heart disease and so forth, yeah. you can sort of see the argument of, well, you know, do Why that. Not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why Except not? the only problem is that there's so much experimentation that would be required that it, invariably you're going to get thousands of very other defects tragic events yeah. which you're not going to appreciate yep oh that is interesting yeah the mutants and the mutants in this version what they're doing is real tragic crazy well you got to wonder there though like what were they trying to achieve because they're, they're doing like the the, the hard ass prisoners like yeah you know the, you got to wonder uh, for example the nurse uh, Sai got changed and he didn't just murder for no reason or anything no like. no no so you're wondering if maybe the other prisoners did kind of go on their rampage because it was easy mm. and they were already predisposed that's right yep 
Yeah, mm. you need a whole other B story on what happened to those monsters as well after their rampage. Did they well, feel um, some guilt? Did they want to... I'm hoping there's a chapter <laughs> two, Space we Science are. Fiction 2. Yeah. Because uh, Shane has mentioned that his intention was to do that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I saw this interview in twenty end of twenty sixteen, beginning twenty seventeen, mm. where he said, "Yeah, maybe th- you know, three or four years." Uh, he's looking at doing like the next part of the story, right. where Indy's older, yeah. so the same actress is obviously going to have aged, yeah. and then yeah, maybe a, a three where she's older yet, yeah. But you add sort of three, four years on to. 2016, 2017, you're looking at 2019, 2020. Yeah, COVID. Uh, yeah, trying to get any filming done um, mm. as you can ask. I mean, look at all the Hollywood movies all got yeah, pushed shelled. back and knocked down. And uh, yeah, there's, there's sort of a bit of a, um, a void there, I suppose, oh, yeah. Christmas movies at 21 Christmas time. There was not much going on there. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to have a chat to Old Abyss and see what he... Um says really like is there going to be a volume two still coming who knows i mean luke spark with the occupation series that's really expanding into its own little network and that so yeah maybe there will be volume two volume three will come out in one go or oh, i hope so it'll be great i i would love to see the next installment the, the two films of this. i've seen of shane's so far Been i have seen gabriel that's his first one 2005 yeah. uh it's not science fiction mm. it's sort of a Fantasy. It's a fantasy one, yeah. But this Infinity and Osiris Child. Yep. Um, yeah, it's certainly very promising to see what a third movie would be. Definitely. So that brings us to the end of episode 77. And um, please let us know what you thought about the Osiris Child and whether you'd like to see a sequel. And Shane, if you're out there, get in touch. <laughs> um, but yeah, let us know what you thought, what you what you understood we talked about tonight, whether we covered parts that you liked, whether we you'd want something a bit different or we missed out on something that you thought was a really integral part of this film. Uh, please think about giving us a five-star rating, write a review, Tick boxes, follow, like on all of the places that you listen to podcasts. And likewise, you can follow us online at our website, on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. So connect with us and let us know. Don't forget about the film festival. Obviously, probably too late now to make a film. Sorry, let me know earlier. Uh, It's probably too late, so you're going to have to sit on that idea till next time. Uh, If you are in Western Australia, buy a ticket. Come, say hi. Enjoy the day out of workshops and a red carpet film festival event like none other. So, yeah, to find out about that, again, head to our website and socials. Next episode, we are going back to a filmmaker that we have looked at before, M. Night Ding dong. He's had had a bit of an up and down in his career. He has, but it's interesting actually, after watching this recently, I I did see this a couple of weeks ago, So I and I said to Sari, we need to do this film. Um, I saw one of his others, which wasn't sci-fi, I don't know, about a month or two ago, which was before this one. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a little bit more on on how he used to be. And then I watched this film and I got excited again because I think this is him going back to his roots. I think this is kind of that he's he's connected to the type of filmmaker that he he always was and maybe just he deviated for a little while there. But anyway, let us know what you thought about what we talked about tonight. That film we are going to look at next week is called Old. 
old. You will find it out there. It is on Amazon um, and obviously probably places that it's you can rent. It's just going to be an hour and a half of me sitting in a chair. Yeah, just getting older yeah. <laughs> by the minute. Uh, so I look forward to chatting about that and hearing what you think about that film on Space Brains. See ya. Bye. Bye.